السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين ما بعد Last week we were um, speaking about uh, in Surah Al-Humaza we were covering verses 2 and 3 So Allah Azza wa Jalla in verse number 1 spoke about the punishment, the wail, the woe, the destruction to a group of people, a segment of the community that is engaged in backbiting and slandering and demeaning people and, and belittling people. And Allah Azza wa Jalla in verses 2 and 3 goes on to describe them in further detail, this group of people and from the descriptions that he attributes to them. And this is a common practice in the Quran that Allah Azza wa Jalla when he often speaks about people, believers, disbelievers, righteous people, sinners, Many times in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will go on and describe them and give them certain attributes. So for example, whether it's in Surah Al-Baqarah, in the first verses where Allah Azza wa Jal describes the muttaqeen, hudallil muttaqeen, it is a guidance for the righteous, the pious. Allah Azza wa Jal then goes on to describe who they are. الَّذِينَ يُؤْمِنُونَ بِالْغَيْبُ وَيُقِيمُونَ الصَّلَاةِ وَمِمَّا رَزَقْنَاهُمْ يُنْفِقُونَ And so on. They are those who believe in the unseen and those who establish the prayer and those who spend from that which we provided them with. So the point is that Allah Azza wa Jalla often describes people in the Quran. So when he mentions the righteous, or when he mentions the evildoers, the sinners, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will mention them, and there are many times in the Quran where Allah will then describe them, give certain attributes to them. Those descriptions and those attributes, including the ones that we have now in the surah, Surah Al-Humaza, are not, uh, not comprehensive in the sense that these descriptions that Allah Azza wa gives are not exclusive to those disbelievers as opposed to the other descriptions that are also mentioned in the Quran. Meaning that when Allah Azza wa here describes the slanderers, the backbiters, and then he says, there are those who amass wealth. There are those who amass wealth and they count it. And they think that that wealth will bring them eternity. That is not that does not mean that the other descriptions that Allah Azza wa gives to them in other places in the Quran also don't apply, and vice versa. So the Quran, as you know, is taken together as a whole. So when we have descriptions here about the disbelievers or the sinners and the evildoers, and then you have other descriptions in other parts of the Quran that also belong to the sinners or the evildoers, they are taken together. Right? So when Allah Azza wa says, فَوَيْلٌ لِلْمُصَلِّينَ الَّذِينَ هُمْ عَنْ صَلَاتِهِمْ سَاهُونَ as we discussed in the tafsir of Surah Ma'un, those are also descriptions concerning evildoers and sinners and so on. They, uh, if you like, complement each other, right? Just as the descriptions of the believers also complement each other from throughout the Quran. So Allah Azza wa describes these people, as we mentioned last week, from their descriptions or from their attributes is that their whole, uh, their whole focus, their whole vision, their whole goal is just the dunya and working for the dunya and amassing the dunya. And Allah Azza wa describes this amassing of the world and its pleasures and its adornments in what is perhaps the most, uh, the most, you know, the pinnacle or the greatest example of that. And that is the amassing of wealth. Wealth in all of its forms, depending on the context of people, as we said, could be for some people money, currency, gold, silver. For other people, it's livestock. For other people, it's agriculture. For other people, it's land and property and so on and so forth. It is, therefore, the amassing of wealth. Not only do they amass it, but Allah Azza wa says, وَعَدَّدَ And they count it. Some of the scholars, as we said, mean, it means that they not only amass that wealth, but then they're busy counting it, meaning that their day and their night is busy revolving around this amassing of wealth, meaning it is that their only goal in this life. It is their main mission in this dunya. And they consider it as a means of, uh, of bettering other people, of besting them, of showing their status uh, over them. And it is something which they consider in many cases to be a sign of blessing for them in the sense that they think that of, 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 if Allah Azza wa Jal, or if they have been given wealth, it means that they are therefore honored and noble and better than others. And that then leads to arrogance and pride. And we mentioned last week, the story of the man of the two gardens that Allah Azza wa Jal mentions in Surah Al-Kahf and how Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala mentions how his wealth led him to arrogance which led him to disbelief. So that's why Allah Azza wa Jal then says, يَحْسَبُ أَنَّ مَا لَهُ أَخْلَدَ 
this person thinks that their wealth will lead them to eternity, that Allah favors them, that Allah loves them because he gave them wealth, not realizing that the concept of wealth in Islam is that it is simply a materialistic possession. Allah gives it to those that he loves and to those whom he does not love. And Allah gives it to those that he favors and those that he honors and those that he wishes no honor upon. And that's why it is not equal to anything in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is those people who take that wealth and do good and righteousness with it that Allah will reward immensely. And as for those people who take that wealth and they, you know, they, they misuse it and they spend it upon evil and haram, then Allah has prepared for them a painful punishment. And that is why Allah in verse number four, he then goes on and he says, Kalla Nay, verily he will be thrown into the crushing fire, or no, he will be surely thrown into the crusher, or the consuming one, or some of them said into that which breaks to pieces. These are all different um, translations for the word hutama, which we will come on to. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins with the word kalla. Right, kalla. And kalla is a word that you will find often in the Quran. I think this is, uh, is, I think this is the first time that we've come across it in our study of tafsir. But it is a word that is mentioned multiple times in the Quran. And it is mentioned, I think, like 30 odd times, maybe just over 30 times in the Quran. Allah Azza wa says kalla. And kalla is translated as nay, never. No, indeed, by no means. It is to negate what came before this verse, before the kalla, before the word. It is to negate what came before. And it is often done to negate the beliefs or the ideas or the ideologies of those people that Allah is referring to and speaking of. So, for example, in this case, they think they gather their wealth and they amass it and they count it thinking that it will bring them eternity. And Allah says, nay, meaning never, meaning what they think is incorrect. Never will it give them eternity. Never will their wealth and the amassing of it and all of this wealth and prosperity lead them to have an eternal life or increase them in longevity. It is therefore a word that is used in the Quran, kalla, to negate what has come before it. And it is mentioned, as we said, over 30 times in the Quran. One thing which is interesting, uh, about the word kalla is that you only find it in the last half of the Quran. The last half of the Quran. It's first mentioned in the Quran, if you go from the beginning, from Fatiha, it's first mentioned in, is in Surah Maryam. And Surah Maryam is in the 16th juz of the Quran. So the first 15 juz, the first half of the Quran, it is not mentioned. And there is a narration, and I don't know if it's authenticity, but it's a narration that's mentioned in, in some of the books of in Quranic sciences and, and, and biographies and so on, that the, um, the governor Hajjaj, Hajjaj ibn Yusuf, you know, the famous governor of the Umayyad dynasty who was known for his tyranny and oppression and he was known for his heavy hand. It said that a man once came to him and he had some dispute or some issue and he came to, to, um, to the court of Hajjaj and he was giving testimony. And so he made an oath, he took an oath. And the oath that he took is by the one who doesn't mention kalla in the first half of the Quran. That was the oath that he took, right? By the one, meaning Allah Azza wa Jal, who doesn't mention kalla in the first half of the Quran. Hajjaj, as, as the rest of us probably, had never heard of such an oath being taken, right? You normally say by Allah, by the Lord of the Kaaba, by the Lord, you know, by the one, whatever, by Allah's names and attributes. Rarely does someone, you know, take a, such an eloquent kind of like poetic oath. He took this oath and he said, by the one who doesn't mention kalla in the first half of the Quran. Hajjaj stopped and he was like, what does, what does that even mean? And he said to him, I found that Allah doesn't use the word kalla in the first half of the Quran. He only mentions it from Surah Maryam onwards. And Hajjaj was so impressed, it is said, by his oath and by, and he was just a layman. It's not a scholar, he's just a layman. But he was so impressed by this you know, reflection on the Quran that he, uh, that he took it and he, uh, he you know, forgave him or whatever it was, he kind of like dealt with his issue in a favorable way. And Imam Suyuti rahimahullah in his, in his book on the sciences of the Quran, Al-Itqan, Fi Ulum Al-Quran, Al-Itqan is a book that deals with Ulum Al-Quran, the sciences of the Quran. And Imam Suyuti rahimahullah, in his book he also mentions this. He also mentions this point, that the word kalla 
isn't found in the first half of the Quran. Some of the scholars said the reason for this, and Allah knows best, is because kalla is to negate the ideologies and the false beliefs of those people who came before, and that's generally mentioned in the context of the mushrikeen of Quraysh, what they used to think and what they used to believe and, and the kind of false ideologies that they used to have. And so therefore you find it in the Makki surahs. And the Makki surahs, you know, generally speaking, the vast majority of them are towards the end of the Quran because they are the shortest surahs that you find in the Quran in terms of you know, the, the ordering of the surahs of the Quran. So the point is that Kalla is mentioned like some 30 odd times in the Quran. It comes in the Quran uh, with four different meanings. Right, if you were to go into the word kalla, it kind of comes in the Qur'an with four different meanings, but they're kind of in two groups, two, two meanings in one group and two meanings in the other because the two meanings are very similar. The first of those meanings or the first group, the two meanings, is to negate. Right? It is to uh, deny, it is to remove that thought or that ideology or that belief that Allah has just mentioned. It is to negate what is being said or what has been thought of or the ideology that has been uh, alluded to in the Quran. Whether it's Allah doing it himself or whether it is in the speech that Allah has mentioned, for example, on the tongues of one of his messengers or one of the stories of the prophets of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So for example, when Allah says uh, in Surah Maryam, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about how they worship other than Allah and they and they have and they worship gods besides Allah Azza wa Jal. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Have these people seen the unseen? Or do they have a covenant, a promise that Allah has given to them? Allah then says, Kalla. No. Right? It is to negate what has come before. Right? It is to negate what has come before. Likewise, similar to it, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in the Quran in Surah Mu'minun that when the people of the Hawfai will go into the Hawfai, they will say, Qala Rabbirji'un. Oh, our Lord, allow us to return, meaning to the dunya. Perhaps I will do good deeds from that which I left behind. Meaning that when I return to the dunya, I will change my ways, I will do good deeds. Allah Azza wa says, Kalla. Nay, rather it is simply a statement that they say. Right? So Allah is negating this. Allah refuses this. Right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that it is incorrect. It is a lie what they claim. Right? So kalla, the word kalla is used to show negation. It is used to show that something is incorrect. Similar to it in the Quran is what Allah mentions in the story of Musa alayhi salam. When in the story of Musa alayhi salam, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that when they're fleeing from Pharaoh, with Bani Israel, they're fleeing from Pharaoh, Bani Israel and Musa alayhi salam, and the army of Pharaoh is chasing them, and they come to the sea. So in front of them is the sea, and behind them is army, uh, Pharaoh with his army. And Allah says that the people of Musa said, Inna We have been caught. And Musa alayhi salam says, Qala kalla. He said to them, no, never. Indeed, with me is my Lord, he will guide me. Right? So you have both of these, right? You have both of these in the Quran. The similar meaning, because I said this is a group, right? One is to negate the added meaning that is also like kind of like very similar. It's the same kind of thing. But the added meaning would be to not only negate, but to negate with, with fear to negate with fear, like Allah does in Surah Al-Humazah. They think that their wealth will bring them eternity. Rather, they will be thrown into the fire. So now not only is it negating something, but it's negating it by casting fear and terror with the threat of punishment upon them. Right? And that is something which Allah often does in the Quran as well. And, and there are many examples of that in the Quran as well. The second kind of group of meaning or the, the other two so that's the first two one is to negate and one is to negate with the threat of punishment and fear the second two which are kind of like in the other group is to affirm the correct meaning so it negates something but then it affirms the correct meaning instead right so um so for example in surah al-takathur which inshallah you know we will come on to soon when allah says al-hakum al-takathur 
right? they, have, they are busy with amassing things and, and gathering things and they will continue to do so until they visit their graves. Then Allah Azzawajal says what next? Nay, rather they will come to know. Right? So Allah is negating, but He's affirming something else. Right? They will come to know the reality of what it is that they're gathering, the reality of what it is that they are doing. And this is something which you will which you will um, which you will find also in the Quran from the meanings of kalla. For example, when Allah Azza says in Surah Al Mutafifin, Kalla inna kitab al abrari lafi'illiyin. Nay, rather the book or the record of the righteous will be in the illiyin. Right? And so Allah Azzawajal is affirming, he's negating something, but he's affirming also the status and the reward and the position of the righteous people in the highest levels of illiyin. And similar to it is when Allah Azzawajal uses it uh, as affirmation but by way of taking an oath. It is mentioned with an oath. So for example, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, uh, in Surah Al-Mudathir, Kalla wal qamar, nay by the moon. Right? And Allah Azza wa takes an oath, he swears an oath by the moon. So Allah Azza wa is negating something, but he's affirming something. The additional meaning here is what? That it's an affirmation which is stronger. Why? Because it is done in the form of an oath. So the word kalla therefore is something which is, uh, you know, which is mentioned. And, and those meanings, all of them are very similar. And you will find, I think, in the vast majority of the translations of the Quran, that they, they call it all kalla, right? They call it or they, they uh, translate it as nay or never or, you know, no, by no means, no indeed. It is very similar in the translation, but in the Arabic, on the context and depending on the structure of the verse, you will find that there is that additional meaning. So here, as we said, which, which example is this? When Allah Azza wa in verse number four says, kalla la yumbadhanna fil hutama, no indeed, he will be thrust into the crusher. This is the first type, right? The first type, which is what? To negate something, but this time with the threat of punishment and fear and terror. So those people that believe that Allah the wealth that they have, that they've amassed, that they count, that they covet, that they hoard, will bring them longevity, will bring them eternity. It is a sign of Allah's love for them and Allah's care for them and Allah's protection for them. Allah dismisses this notion and he dismisses it in the strongest possible way. And he does it by saying, kalla, right? No or nay. Umar ibn Abdullah, who was one of the scholars, uh, and he's the free slave of the sister of Bilal, radiallahu an, anhuma, he said, when Allah Azza wa says, kalla in the Quran, it means kathabt, you have lied. Meaning that what they said before or what they thought before is a lie, right? It is incorrect. And Ibn Kathir rahimahullah ta'ala said something similar. The word kalla means ليس الأمر كما زعم ولا كما حسب. The word kalla means that no, it is not as you think or as you believe. So they may think in a certain way and believe things to be a certain way. Allah Azza wa when he says kalla, it is to negate what they think or what they say or what it is that they believe. Meaning that you think that your wealth will bring you longevity will bring you eternity, or rather instead what it will do is it will lead you into the fire, right? It will be thrown, it will lead you to being thrown into the fire. And that's what Muqatil rahimahullah ta'ala also said, kalla means, no, your wealth, your children, these things that you think give you honor, prestige, the things that you believe that Allah uh, loves you for, if you don't use them in a righteous, good way, they won't give you longevity, but rather they will lead you to his punishment in the fire. And Ibn Ashur, Rahimahullah mentions something similar uh, in his tafsir as well. So Allah Azza wa negates, right? He says, kalla. And then Allah Azza wa tells them the threat of punishment. Rather, rather, instead of what you think it will lead you to, it will lead you to the very opposite. You think that it will lead you to eternity. Instead, it will lead you to an eternity, an eternity of blessing, an eternity of goodness. Instead, it will lead you to an eternity of punishment. Right? It will lead you to an eternity in the fire of hell. And so Allah Azza wa says, Kalla la yumbadhanna. They will be thrown, they will be cast. Right? And the word nabadha is also mentioned, or, or the, the root word nabadha is mentioned numerous times in the Quran as well. Nabadha means to throw, to cast. 
right? And these people will be thrown into the fire because we know that Allah and the Prophet in a number of hadith, he mentions that from the manners or the methods by which the people of the fire will be thrown into the fire is that they will be thrown into the fire, right? That's the word in giving. Right? He will be thrown into the fire, like the hadith of the three people, that's in Al-Bukhari, the three people who will be the first to be judged on Yawm Al-Qiyamah, right? The scholar, the one who gives charity and the one who fights. Each one of them comes, stands before Allah Azza wa Jal and says, we did it for your sake. Allah Azza wa Jal says, no, you rather did it because you wanted fame, right? You, you show off. You wanted people to say that you're generous. You wanted people to say that you're knowledgeable. You wanted people to say that you're courageous and brave. The hadith says, then they, it will be commanded, they will be dragged on their face and thrown into the fire. Right? And they will be from amongst the first people to enter into the fire. And so the wording used is ulqi, he is thrown into the fire. It is one of the methods of disgrace, right? Just as, you know, when you really want to um, show your disapproval of someone or you really want to get rid of, you say, throw them out, right? That's what you say, throw them out. Because it's more harsh and it is uh, more humiliating than just simply to say, ask them to leave, show them the exit, right? Those are nice, polite ways of doing something. Throw them out shows that you have disdain and, and, and you don't want to know them and you're getting rid of them in a way that is harsh, has no honor attached to it. So Allah says the same thing here. They will be thrown into the fire. Right? They won't be led, even though there are other verses that will say that they are led. Right? They are driven towards the fire. But when they come to the precipice of the fire, they are thrown within it. Right? They are cast within it. It is mentioned a number of times in the Quran. Allah uses this word nabad, and it is often meant to discard. Right? In the Quran, it is often used also with the meaning of discarding something. Because when you discard something, it's something that has no use anymore. Right? You get rid of it, it's something that you tip, something that you throw away, that you get rid of, because it no longer has any use or benefit to you. So Allah says, for example, concerning the people of the book, that when they were given their, uh, or their, they were given their covenants and their oaths and their scriptures, they would cast it behind their backs, meaning they would discard it. They wouldn't pay attention to it, right? they wouldn't pay any heed to it. Or when Allah Azza wa Jal says in Surah Al-Baqarah that when Allah Azza wa Jal gave a covenant to Bani Israel, nabadahu fariqum minhum. A group from amongst them cast it aside. Meaning they discarded it. They didn't pay any attention to it. And that's what Allah Azza wa Jal says concerning Pharaoh when they're drowned in the river. When Allah Azza wa Jal says in Surah Al-Qasas, فَأَخَذْنَاهُ وَجُنُودَهُ فَنَبَذْنَاهُمْ فِي الْيَمِ We took him and all of his army, his soldiers, and we threw them into the river, right? We discarded of them, threw them into the river, right? And so Allah mentions this in the Quran because it is a word that is used in terms of casting away, right? Discarding of something, getting rid of something. It is also used to describe people in the Quran. And when it's used to describe a person, it means that they've gone far away to a place that no one can see, like they've been cast out. So these people have been cast into the fire. When it's used to describe people's actions, it is often described as being cast away, right? cast out of the community. So Allah Azza wa mentions it in Surah Maryam concerning Maryam alayhi salam when she becomes pregnant with Isa alayhi salam. When she became pregnant with him, Allah Azza wa says, she went away, far away, outside of the community, outside of the city that she was living in. So she went away, far away. Right? Again, it's like being cast out or being driven away. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses this in the Quran. Here it is obviously used to describe the manner in which those people will be thrown into the fire of hell. billah. That they won't be given any honor, they won't be given any prestige. It's not something which is done in a nice way. And so it is done in the most, and we know from the descriptions of the people of the fire, whether in the Quran or in the Sunnah, that no honor is afforded to them. Right? The people of the fire have no honor. Allah Azza wa Jalla doesn't afford them any honor, doesn't give them any, any prestige, doesn't give them, and no matter how you know, down someone may be in this dunya, no matter how, um, you know, like how low someone may be, they're still given some measure of respect, usually. 
right? Whether it's a smile, whether it's a kind word, whether the door's open for them, whether, whatever it may be. It may even be the smallest, tiniest gesture, but it is often the case that they're given something. On Yawm Al-Qiyamah, these people of the fire are not even afforded that. And Allah Azza wa negates from them any type of honor. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, La they will be thrown, they will be cast away into the fire. There is a qira'a shadha, a peculiar recitation here or reading of the Qur'an, which isn't from the mutawatir, it's not from the ways that we read the Qur'an, but it is from the shadh qira'at as we've discussed. And it's said that um, Al-Hassan, Al-Basri, and Mujahid, and some of them, they used to read it as, uh, both of them will be cast aside in the dual sense, meaning that person and the wealth that they gathered will be cast aside, right? Because we know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, mentions in the Quran that when Allah azza wa sometimes punishes people, he punishes them and he also gets rid of or takes away the thing that they thought was the source of their honor. Like we mentioned last week in the story of the man of the two gardens, right? The man with the two gardens in Surah Al-Kahf, his honor or his prestige or what he thinks, you know, shows his love or Allah's love for him rather, is the source of his garden. When Allah punishes him, he punishes him by taking away his garden. Right? The garden is removed to nothing. Similarly, in the story of Qarun in the Quran, Allah says about his destruction, We caused him and his land, his property, his, his palace to be swallowed into the ground. Right? So he's taken away and that. So some of the scholars said, or they used to read it in this way, that this person and that which they worshipped, that which they amassed, that which they thought was the source of their honor, would be the source of their eternity, would be the source of their salvation in this life and the next. Allah Azza wa will not only punish them, but he will throw their wealth with them into the fan. You know from the Quran that Allah Azza wa for the people who use something in ways that are uh, oppressive or ways that are haram, Allah Azza wa will often punish people using those same things that they harnessed. Right? And Allah Azza wa tells us in the Quran concerning those people who hoard gold and silver in Surah At-Tawbah and they don't spend it in the path of Allah Azza wa Allah says that he will use that gold and silver to burn them on the day of judgment, right? in the fire of hell. They are punished by the same thing that they were hoarding. And we also know from the Sunnah of the Prophet the Hadith that whoever takes even a hand span of land that doesn't belong to them or property that doesn't belong to them, Allah Azza wa will punish them the likes of the seven earths with it on the day of judgment. Right? Meaning that panspan, the likes of the seven earths of that same land, they will be used to be punished with on, on, on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. They will be punished with it on the day of judgment. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala often uses those same things that those people gathered and harnessed as a means of their destruction and punishment on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. So Allah Azza wa says, Kalla nay. They will be thrown in Al-Hutama. And Al-Hutama is one of the names of the Hellfire. It's one of the descriptions of the Hellfire. And I think we mentioned before that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or, the general, or generally the practice of the Arabs was that if something was of importance, they would attach to it many names. So anything that has importance in the Arabic language is usually given many names and many descriptions. And it is one of the ways that the Arabs through their eloquence would denote importance. And that is why Allah Azza wa Jal has many names. And the Quran has many names. And the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam has many names. And Yawm Al-Qiyamah is called by many names. And Paradise and Hellfire are known by many names. And so when something is mentioned many times with many different names and descriptions in the Quran or in the Arabic language and therefore in the Quran and the Sunnah, it is to show importance to it. Hellfire is one of those, one of those examples. It has many names and many descriptions in the Quran, and you know, inshallah, we'll, we'll come through more as we go through the, um, through the different surahs of the Quran, and especially in the last juz, 30th juz, 29th juz, and so on. Many of the names of the days, the day of judgment, and many of the names of Hellfire are mentioned within these last few ajza of the Quran. One of those names is Al-Hutama. Al-Hutama, Al-Sheikh uh, Muhammad Al-Amin Al-Shaqiti, or rather in his book, Adwa'u Al-Bayan, he says that Al-Hutama is from the root, or from the wazan, it follows the same 
uh, if you like, what's wasn't? It's the same formula, pattern formula of humaza, uh, which is fu'ala. Right? So just as you have humaza and lumaza, when Allah Azza wa Jal describes or describes the fire here, He uses the same pattern so that it matches. And that's from the eloquence and the beauty of the Quran. And so Allah Azza wa Jal calls it hutama. But the word that it comes for, from the root word is hatam. And hatam means to crush, to break. Right? And it also means to eat a lot, to devour. And that's why a person who eats a lot in the Arabic language is known as hatim. Right? It is one of the names that is given to that person. So therefore the, fa- the fire, when Allah Azza wa describes it as crushing, right, as hutama, it is something which crushes a person. So from the destruction or from the punishment of the fire and its terror, may Allah Azza wa save us from it, is that the fire will crush people, crush their bones and crush their bodies. And it will restrict upon itself so that it will crush people. And it will devour them. It will devour them. And that is the meaning of Al-Hutama. And that's why you have, you know, in the translations that you find, the most common one is crusher or crushing fire. But then you have one which is consuming, right? Which means to devour, right? That's also from the meanings of Hutama. Or which breaks to pieces, right? And that's Al-Kasr, right? Which is the root word, which means, Kasr means to break something, right? Breaks into pieces. That is the meaning of Al-Hutama. Ibn Ashur rahimahullah ta'ala said in his, in his tafsir, he said this description for the fire was not something which the Arabs were aware of. They wouldn't describe a fire, a normal fire in this way. So a normal fire that we burn at home or whatever, it's not something which they would describe it as being hutama. But rather it is a description that Allah Azza wa gave to the fire of hell. Because obviously as we know from the hadith, the Prophet said that the fire of this dunya is only one in 70 parts of the fire of the Akhirah. Right? It is only one seventy of the parts of the fire of the Day of Judgment. So therefore that fire is more consuming, it is stronger, it is more severe, it is harsher, it is more painful, its punishment is more. And therefore from its additional punishment is the fact that it is hutama, that it crushes and that it destroys. The scholars said the word hutama, some of them said, that Hutama is a name from the names of the gates of Jahannam. From the names of the gates of Jahannam. How many gates of Jahannam are there? How many gates of Hellfire? Can we go back, sorry, to the... How many, how many gates do we have of, of Hellfire? Seven, right? Allah Azza wa says in the Quran, لَهَا سَبْعَةُ أَبْوَابِ لِكُلِّ بَابٍ مِّنْهُمْ جُزْءٌ مَقْصُومٌ it has seven gates, and for each gate will be an assigned portion of people, right? That they will enter through it into the fire. It has seven gates. Some of the scholars said from the names of those seven gates, one of the names of those gates is Hutama. And this was the opinion of Muqatil and Al-Kalbi. And they even defined it and they said that it is the sixth gate of, of the fire. I don't know, and Allah Azza wa knows best, but I don't know of any authentic hadith that mentions the names of the gates of the fire, um, unless anyone else knows or can benefit us with that. And even from the gates or the names of the gates of, of Jannah, it is mentioned in the hadith, but the Prophet doesn't really name them except for the gate of fasting, fasting which is called Ar-Rayyan. Right? And the rest is, he says, yes, the people of prayer will have a gate and the people of charity will have a gate and the people of jihad have a gate. But they're not really named in that way unless you call them the gate of prayer or the gate of jihad or the gate of charity. But fasting is given a name, right? The gate of fasting or the people of fasting, it is given a name and that is the name of Ar-Rayyan. I don't know of a, an hadith which does the same for the fire, right? That there is a gate for the people who do this sin or the people who commit that sin and Allah Azza wa knows best. But some of the scholars you will find from the descriptions that Allah Azza wa gives in the Quran, the many different names of the fire, some of them said it is the name of the gate or one of the gates of the fire. So this is an example of that. And that is that it is the sixth gate or any of the gates of the fire. But some of them said it is the sixth gate and this is the opinion of Muqatil and Al-Kalbi. Another opinion amongst them said that it is the name of one of the levels of Jahannam. One of the levels of, of, of Hellfire. 
just as paradise has levels, right? we know that it has a hundred levels, as, as mentioned in the hadith, likewise the fire has levels also. Right? And Allah Azza wa Jal refers to this in the Quran when he says concerning the hypocrites, إِنَّ الْمُنَافِقِينَ فِي الدَّرْكِ الْأَسْفَلِ مِنَ النَّارِ Indeed, the hypocrites will be in the lowest level of the fire. And it's mentioned in the hadith of the Prophet wasallam. the hadith when Abbas radiallahu anhu, anhu comes to the Prophet and he says, O Messenger of Allah, Abu Talib, your uncle, spent his life defending you. How did you benefit him? And the Prophet said, it is because of my intercession that he is taken from the depths of the fire and he is placed on its outskirts. Right? He will be towards the shallow parts of the fire. And that's because of the intercession, which shows therefore that the fire has levels, many levels just as Jannah has many levels. Some of them said that this is one of the names of the levels of Jahannam. Right? And this is, it is said that this was the opinion of Al-Dahak. And the majority of the scholars say that Al-Hutama is a name of the fire. It is a description of the fire of hell. So it's not the name of a gate. It is not the name of a level. It is just a general description of the fire that from the things that the fire will do is that it crushes and it restricts and it devours. It's possible Allah Azza knows best. The question is like the hadith that mentions that the lowest form of punishment in the fire is the one who wears shoes in the fire. The fire will come to his ankles and because of it his brain will boil. Is that what Abu Talib will have? It's possible because Rasul says that he will be yeah, amongst like the lowest people of, of punishment in the people of from the people of the fire. So Allah Azza knows best, but it's possible that that can therefore apply to him and Allah knows best. Any other questions? Do you have any questions online? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala therefore says in, in verse number four, كَلَّا فِي الْحُطَمَةِ Then in verse number five, Allah azza wa jal says, وَمَا أَدْرَاكَ مَا الْحُطَمَةِ And what may let you know what the crushing fire is? What will explain to you what the crusher is? What will convey to you? What will make you know? What will explain to you? وَمَا أَدْرَاكَ مَا الْحُطَمَةِ And just as the word kalla comes often in the Quran, the statement of the phrase وَمَا أَدْرَاكَ is also mentioned multiple times in the Quran. It is mentioned 13 times in the Quran. 1, 3, 13 or 12, depending on one whether you consider that to be 2 or you consider it to be 1. Um, 12 or 13 times in the Quran that Allah Azza wa uses the word وَمَا أَدْرَاكَ The first one is in, um, in Surah Al-Haqqah when Allah Azza wa Jal says, Al-Haqa Malhaqa wa ma adaraka malhaqa. Right? That's number one. Number two, in Surah Al-Muddathir, wa ma adaraka ma saqar. Wa ma adaraka ma saqar. Number three, in Surah Al-Mursalat, wa ma adaraka ma yawmul fasl. Wa ma adaraka ma yawmul fasl. Number four and five are in Surah Al-Fitar, so if you count them as two, because they're two separate verses, but they, they're mentioned in one Surah, you have a total of 13. If you count them as one, because they're mentioned both in one Surah, you count them as 12. Uh, and that is when Allah Azza wa Jalla says in Surah Al-Fitar, وَمَا أَدْرَاكَ مَا يَوْمُ الدِّينِ ثُمَّ مَا أَدْرَاكَ مَا يَوْمُ الدِّينِ And similar to it is in Surah Mutafifin, we have وَمَا أَدْرَاكَ مَا سِجِّينِ and also, and that's why some of them counted them as ten, because again, these are repetitions in the same surah. In Surah Al-Tariq, Al-Tariq, Wama Adraka, Mat-Tariq. In Surah Al-Tariq, in Surah Al-Balad, Wama Adraka, Mal-Aqaba. In Surah Al-Qadr, Inna Anzalnahu Fi Laylat Al-Qadr, Wama Adraka, Ma Laylat Al-Qadr. In Surah Al-Qari'ah. We have Al-Qari'ah, Mal-Qari'ah, Wama Adraka Mal-Qari'ah. And then towards the end of the surah, Wama Adraka Mahiya, Narun Hamiya. And then the last one is the one in Surah Al-Humaza, which is Wama Adraka Mal-Hutama. If you count each one of these as an individual verse, or an individual time that it appears in the Quran, therefore the phrase Wama Adraka is mentioned 13 times in the Quran. 
similar to it in the Quran, but slightly different, is the word Wama Yudrika. Wama Yudrika, which is mentioned only three times in the Quran. Wama Adraka, what is the difference between Wama Adraka Wama Yudrika? Anyone tell me? Past and present tense. Adraka is past tense, Yudrika is present tense. It is mentioned three times in the Quran. The first of them is in Surah Al Ahzab, verse 63, where Allah Azza wa Jal says, Yes'aluka nasu sa'a. They ask you concerning the hour. Qul inna Say to them that its knowledge belongs to Allah. Wama yudrika qariba. And what will let you know or what makes you know perhaps that the hour will be close. The second time it is mentioned in the Quran is in Surah Al Shura. Verse number 17, Allah Azza wa Jal says, Allah is the one who revealed the book in truth and the scale. And what will let you know perhaps the hour is close. And the third time is in, uh, perhaps the most famous of them, is in Surah Abasa, where Allah Azza wa Jal says, Abasa wa tawalla an ja'ahu al-a'ma wa ma yudrika la'allahu yazzakka. And what will let you know, perhaps he came seeking to be purified. It is therefore mentioned three times in the Quran. The one that's mentioned more is Wama Adraka, 13 times in the Quran, and including in Surah Al Hutama. What is the difference between the two? It is mentioned by um, a number, uh, well, some of the scholars of the past, that the difference between the two is when Allah says, Wama Adraka in the Quran, and what will let you know. Can we go back to that translation, please? And what may let you know, or what will convey unto you, or what can make you know, what will explain to you. When Allah uses it in the past tense, وَمَا أَدْرَاكَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then gives the answer as well. So when he mentions it in the past tense, it is followed up by an answer from Allah. وَمَا أَدْرَاكَ مَا هِيَ نَارٌ حَامِيَةٌ وَمَا أَدْرَاكَ مَا لَيْلَةُ الْقَدْرِ لَيْلَةُ الْقَدْرِ خَيْرٌ مِنْ أَلْفِ شَهَرٌ when Allah asks this question in the past tense, Allah Azza wa will immediately there follow it up with an answer. As opposed to Wama Yudrika. When the word Wama Yudrika is mentioned in the Quran, it isn't mentioned, it isn't followed up by an answer. No answer is given. So when Allah Azza wa says, Wama Yudrika qariba, and what will make you know perhaps the hour is close at hand. Allah doesn't affirm or deny. The next verse doesn't say it is close or it is far. Allah just moves on and he doesn't answer. So that is the difference between the two that is mentioned uh, that I found in the books of Tafsir and the other scholars have mentioned in the books of Tafsir. Uh, for example, it is said that Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhumah said, whenever Allah says, وَمَا أَدْرَاكَ in the Qur'an, Meaning the Prophet is asked, and do you know, or what will let you know? Then Allah Azza wa Jal will tell him. He will give him the answer to that question. As opposed to, وَمَا يُدْرِيكَ فَقَطُّوْيَعًا But when Allah says, وَمَا يُدْرِيكَ That knowledge is kept from him. It is a knowledge which is not revealed to him. And Imam Asiyuti, rahimahullah, mentions in, uh, from the narration of Sufyan ibn Uyayna, rahimahullah, one of the famous scholars of the past, and this narration, I think, is also found in Sahih al-Bukhari when he comes onto the verse, وَمَا أَدْرَاكَ مَا لَيْلَةُ الْقَدْرِ When Imam al-Bukhari goes in his tafsir in his Sahih of this verse, he mentions the statement of Ibn Uyayn. It's not a hadith. It is a statement of the scholar Sufyan ibn Uyayn, rahimahullah, who was one of the famous scholars of his, of his time. He says the same thing. When Allah says in the Quran, وَمَا يُدْرِيكَ You're not told the answer. But when Allah Azza wa Jal says, وَمَا أَدْرَاكَ You are then told the answer. Meaning the Prophet right in the Quran, Allah Azza wa Jalla explained to him the answer, وَمَا يُدْرِيكَ The answer is not given to him in the Quran. Ibn Ashur, rahimahullah, in his tafsir, uh, Tahrir wa Tanweer, his, his famous tafsir, he goes into this in, in, in quite some detail and he says that I didn't find that the vast majority of the scholars of tafsir really looked at this issue of the difference between these two statements, وَمَا أَدْرَاكَ and وَمَا يُدْرِيكَ And he says that I found that Allah Azza wa Jalla mentions this uh, in a number of times in the Quran or the context in which it is mentioned وَمَا أَدْرَاكَ in the Quran وَمَا يُدْرِيكَ it is mentioned uh, for a number of reasons the first of them is to 
speak about a prevalent thought or a, an idea that people had and to correct it or to expand upon it. So when people ask a question or when people have a question or when people have an idea of something, Allah Azza wa expands upon it. And what will let you know what the hour is or what Laylatul Qadr is, Laylatul Qadr khayrun min alfi shahr. The night of decree or power is better than a thousand months. So the concept is there, but people want to understand. Or Allah Azza wa mentions the concept, then Allah Subhanahu wa Taala wants to expand upon it, and so Allah Azza wa speaks about it in more detail. Or perhaps the concept is there, but it is misunderstood. It is a concept that is there, it is misunderstood, and so Allah Azza wa rectifies its meaning and what it is that it's referring to. Allah so the question is why is it not translated as and what has let you know right as in the present tense I think that the reason for that Allah knows best is because yeah because like when it's revealed to the Prophet even though it's in the past tense it is still something which people will continue to want to know over time right so every time someone comes to the verse for them it is still new it is still new knowledge even though it is in the past tense, and Allah knows best. It will be interesting if you pick, if you go, if you go to the other verse, like the one in Surah Al-Hazab, and let's see what they, but keep this window open, keep this one open as well, and like we'll see a comparison between, what verse was it? Anyone have the verse that I said? 63, it's right towards the end. Can we have like multiple translations, please? It's not working. Oh, okay. It's coming, huh? All right. So. So, okay, but we'll come back to that in, in, in a minute. So let's go back to Ibn Ashur. So he said that's the first reason that Allah Azza wa wants to expand upon something, wants to correct something. So like, for example, in Laylatul Qadr, right? The second reason is because um, there is something that has been neglected. And so Allah Azza wa wants to bring attention to it. Something which is neglected, Allah Azza wa wants to bring attention to it. Like, for example, in the story of Surah Abasa, Right, because as we know, the story is that the Prophet ﷺ is being approached by some of the Quraysh and he doesn't look towards Ibn Ummi Maktoum. And so Allah says, وَمَا يُدْرِيكَ لَعَلَّهُ يَزَّكَّ And what will let you know, perhaps he wishes to see, seeks to be purified. So Allah is drawing the attention of the Prophet ﷺ to something that he was not mindful of. And um, he also says, uh, the third reason that it is mentioned, or the third context in which it is mentioned in the Quran, is when Allah Azza wa often does so to show the importance of something and to make it even more greater, to manifest its greatness even more. Like, for example, here in this surah, where Allah Azza wa will say, right? They will be thrown into the crusher or the crushing fire, and what will let you know what it is, right? To increase you even more in knowledge and to increase you even more in in terror and fear of, of that particular punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The question is repeated over and over again. Al-Qari'ah, what is Al-Qari'ah? And what will let you know what Al-Qari'ah is? So by the time you get to the third one, you understand that it's something which is extremely important and something which requires a great deal of attention. Uh, sorry, so going back to the Surah Hazab, verse 63, the translation in the present tense is given as What do you know? What can convey the knowledge? What may make you perceive? What will make you understand? And what can let you know? How could you know? So that's kind of like present tense, yeah. And the past tense seems to be um, the same thing as well. Allah Azza wa knows best. I don't, 
I don't like have a convincing answer for that. It's something which I think needs to be looking into. But one of the things that you will find. Um, So, the, so go back to the Surah Humaza. In the past tense, what would he be? And what made you know? Yeah, and what made you know what the crushing fire is? Yeah, it doesn't really convey itself. In Arabic, see, because Arabic language is far more eloquent, it, it makes sense. But I suppose if we said, and what, what was explained to you, right? And yeah, in the past tense, it probably doesn't come across uh, in terms of the translation. Yeah. Yeah, so you'll often find this in the Quran, right? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala often when he mentions past tense, it's, it also includes the present tense because there's those people who have done this and those people who continue to do it until Yawm Al-Qiyamah, right? So the, the, you know, and that's why often when we say, for example, you know, Allah says, right? Qala Allah, even the qala is past tense, he said. But Allah Azzawajal continues to say because the Quran continues to be his speech subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? And that's often something which, you know, but we don't want to get into that kind of like... Arabic eloquence. So, um, so Ibn Ashur ta'ala, said concerning this, right? so those are the three contexts that he said that you will find this in the Quran. Right? You will find this in the Quran in these three contexts. Muqatil ta'ala, said that therefore, when Allah says, and what may let you know what Al Hutama is, what this crushing fire is, it is to increase you in certainty that it is something which is grave. And something which requires your attention, something which you should pay heed to. Because it is something he says, because of its, of its severity, the fire, it will crush people's bones, it will devour their flesh, and it will, as Allah will mention towards the end of this surah, and it will consume their very hearts. Right? And that's something which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will mention later. And Imam al Qurtubi rahimahullah said something similar. Allah says, to show the importance of this thing and to show how serious it is. And Imam al-Shawkani, rahimahullah ta'ala, said the same thing. The word, when it is used in the Quran, it is because it is something which the minds cannot ordinarily comprehend. It's not something which we can normally understand. So when Allah says, al-Hutama, he doesn't just move on, but he repeats it to re-emphasize so that we stop and we think and we ponder. We're made to pause and to reconsider what it is. And then Allah Azza wa in verse number 6, he goes on and he describes what it is. Right? He goes on to more, um, if you like, even further uh, description of Al-Hutama. And he says, It is the fire of Allah kindled. It is God's fire made to blaze. It is the fire of Allah fueled. Right? Allah Azza wa describes Al-Hutama as Allah's fire. And that's why the majority of the scholars said Al-Hutama is a description of the fire. It's not a name of one of the gates or one of the levels of Jahannam, but rather it is a name for the fire of hell because Allah then goes on to call it Allah's fire, right? To show that it is one of the descriptions of the fire. It could still be the gate because the meaning, to be honest, the meaning is very similar. Even if it is a name of the gate, Right, that's by way of describing something, the whole, by, you know, like, uh, you know, like, like kind of like a door number, right? So when we say number 25 or something, right? Obviously, you mean the house, right? You don't mean the, the literal number, but you describe the property by its number, right? And that's something which is often done in the Quran where the part is used to describe the whole, right? So it's possible. So the meaning, anyway, is, is very similar, and Allah knows best. There are many examples of that throughout the Quran, right? Where a part is mentioned and the whole is... is, is so when even Allah describes Jannah and He describes it by something that you find in Jannah, doesn't mean that you only get that reward in Jannah, right? It means that you have the rest of Jannah as well, but it's a part that is used to describe the whole. So Allah says, The fire of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Imam Al-Qurtubi rahimahullah ta'ala said, It was kindled thousands and thousands of years ago that Allah then prepared for the people of the fire, the sinners who will be thrown therein. And Imam al-Shawkani rahimahullah ta'ala said, it is the fire of Allah that Allah fueled and kindled uh, when he commanded subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it is described as being Allah's fire 
Number one, to increase it in, in honor, to show its importance in honor. And number two, to show that it is perfect. Because what Allah Azza wa creates and what is ascribed to him is only perfection, subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when Allah Azza wa something is ascribed to him, Allah's revelation, Allah's religion, Allah's reward, and likewise Allah's punishment, it is to show that it is perfect. So therefore, again, it is to dissuade people or to take away that notion that perhaps within the fire there is something which is deficient. Maybe there's times when it burns out. Maybe there's times when the punishment isn't so severe. The, the fire of hell is perfect in its punishment because that is how Allah has created it to be. So Allah Azza wa ascribes it to himself to show its perfection from that point of view as well. And that's something which Ibn Ashur also mentions in his tafsir. It is ascribed to Allah Azza wa because he is the one who creates it and he creates it in, in magnificence and he creates it in perfection. And Allah Azza wa describes it as being muqad. The word muqada means it, is, it has been lit. And Ibn Ashur says that from the meanings of this in the Arabic language, is that when you light something and its flames first arise and it continues to burn. And that's the meaning of muqada. It is constantly fueled and it is constantly ablaze and it is being kindled, meaning it doesn't burn out, doesn't end, doesn't finish, doesn't, because of a lack of fuel, become weaker. From the time in which Allah created the fire until our time now and until Yawm Al-Qiyamah and until all of eternity, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the intensity of the fire has still, is still what the fire has always been. And that's mentioned in the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, the hadith, اشتكت النار إلى ربها فقالت أكلت بعضي بعضا that the fire of hell complained to Allah azza wa jal. And he said, oh Allah, parts of me have devoured other parts. فَأَذِنَ اللَّهُ لَهَا بِنَفَسِينَ So Allah gave his permission that it should breathe, breathe twice, once in the summer, and once in the winter. So the Prophet said that the extreme heat that you find and the bitter cold that you find of the winter, that is from the breathing of shaitan, uh, the breathing of the fire of hell, of Jahannam. Right? So from that time, the fire of hell itself is complaining and that's the meaning of al-muqada. It is ablaze, it is lit, its flames continue to be in intensity as it was first lit, it doesn't diminish. So it's not like normal fires where, you know, like over the period of time it will diminish, it will become weaker. It is from the perfection that Allah has prepared, placed within Jahannam that its intensity will remain as it first started and it will continue to blaze like that until, uh, until Allah decrees otherwise or until the end of time. And with that, inshallah, I think we will conclude here. Any questions? So I think you know, normally with these kind of statements, so uh, the question is like concerning first creation and so on. One of the things that you have to do is you have to define it. Using general terms to describe Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what Allah azza wa jal does is something which Ibn Taymiyyah often does this, right? When he, in his books, when he comes across these vague kind of loose terms, he says you have to define it. If you mean by it such and such, then it's correct. But if you mean by it such and such, then no, that's incorrect. Because otherwise, when you just have a loose term like first creation or loose term, any kind of these like vague terms which can encompass a whole variety of meanings, they are correct in some of its explanations and incorrect in others, right? So you always have to do the same. And that's why you know, the, the safest way of doing it, especially with Allah's names, attributes, creation, all of this stuff, is that you define it. And therefore you say, what we, if you mean A, B, C, and D, then yes. And if not, then that's incorrect, right? And that's the difference between Ahlul Sunnah and many of the other different sects which don't do that. They have these vague interpretations and they just put everything in that that falls into it and then you, call, you fall into so many different issues and problems. Okay, Jazakumullah Khair. Inshallah, I will see you guys next week. Barakallahu Feekum. Muhammad wa ala alihi wa